but you send me the money. And once I get the money, then I'm going to look around and try to find the gloves. And they just obviously stole the money and ran. They take used gloves and developed a way to wash them and dry them and put and then send them back into the marketplace and put them in boxes. So, so big. There's no one you can talk to. And you seem like a normal guy. Well, on today's program, I'd like to welcome Douglas Stein. He's the CEO of PPE Advantage. Good to have you to share your story today. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. We know that the PPE fraud drama continues to unfold. We've been discussing this on um, with other people as well. You've been affected by it. Uh, we have a few questions. Let's start with this one. Tell us briefly what happened with your company when you needed supplies. Yeah, so I was, I've was i been less affected and more kind of as a, as a crusader of fraud throughout the last two years. Uh, I've been an importer for almost 30 years, uh, so my background is in bringing product out of Southeast Asia uh, on a regular basis. When the pandemic hit, I switched over to PPE. Um, there was an, obviously opportunity there. I had boots on the ground in both Vietnam and China. so. You know, we started with the usual suspects. So my story is a little bit different uh, in that um, I started to bring to light some of the fraud that was going on in the PPE market. At first, it was a selfish proposition, and it was to kind of make people aware of all the silly things that were being said uh, in the PPE space about how to procure product, things that just didn't really exist or were meaningful at all in the importing business. And so I tried to bring to light, like, here's real importing, and here is the fake stuff that's going on with PPE, and this is why you need to know the difference. It became really obvious early on that a lot of criminal involvement had gotten into PPE from a nefarious standpoint. You know, that was really my introduction and my reasoning behind uh, getting involved with this PPE fraud coalition was that, you know, I've had experiences with hundreds of people that have been affected by this, some really dramatically. I took it so far on LinkedIn that I've actually had, I've been banned for life there now um, for busting criminals, uh, which is seriously ironic. Some of them are still, you know, happily activated and working to troll people on LinkedIn. Um, and, and I have a lifetime ban, so I'm trying to get my message out in other ways. I've never met someone who's been banned from LinkedIn. This is a first for me, so. Lifetime. Lifetime ban, I mean, well. It's called bullying. Um, and, and you seem like a normal guy. But. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've had some heated arguments with them, but the problem with them is they're so big, there's no mm. one you can talk to. It's all done kind of automatically with algorithms, things like yeah. that. Yeah, listen, uh, you know, I had an audience cheering me on to try to take these people down as aggressively as possible. And I, you know, I did that. And so I don't apologize for it. And really the problem, Jeff, it, it was a supply and demand problem. It was always a, a severe imbalance of supply and demand. And that's what created the opportunity for fraud. Um, factories were, you know, seeing an enormous amount of profit available uh, and, and they were just taking people's deposits and their production capacities nowhere near met the amount of gloves that they could produce or ship. And, and so right off the bat, there became this huge imbalance. 
And all of them thought that they might be able to take the deposits for these orders and actually find gloves somewhere else. In the marketplace, there's a, there's a sub-product or a byproduct from Nitro Glove Factories called um, Repack. And that is either an overflow from a factory of their quantity because they haven't sold all their production, right? So lines run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if you don't have buyers for all of those gloves, you need to get rid of them somewhere. And it becomes uh, what they call a whiteboard market or a bulk market where they sell gloves by the ton. And so factories that were taking orders and they could produce thought that they'd be able to dip into the, into the, you know, gloves by the ton uh, uh, part of the business, buy them from other factories, repack them in their boxes and ship them out and merrily go on their way. And that market quickly disintegrated because the real factories were, had much more production uh, than they could possibly handle with the lines. And so the next thing became, can we build lines fast enough to service some of these people? And it takes almost a year and several million dollars just to build one line of nitro uh, production, uh, which only produces about 100 or 150,000 boxes a month. Uh, and so there was this huge imbalance. And so that led to uh, even more criminal activity where they were taking um, defective gloves or uh, vinyl gloves, which could be very easily made and weren't in so much demand and replacing those in exam grade, medical grade nitro boxes. And then it became even a crazier market where they organized people to go into healthcare areas in the Southeast Asia and actually take used gloves and developed a way to wash them and dry them and put and then send them back into the marketplace and put them in boxes. So, um, you know, most of the time, it really depends. Most of the time people were sending money either to middlemen that claimed that they could get gloves. So the idea was you send me the money. I'm going to tell you I can get gloves right now, but you send me the money. And once I get the money, then I'm going to look around and try to find the gloves. When I can't find the gloves, I'm just going to run away, right? Because you're way over here and I'm way over here. And you know, your laws in the US or wherever you are in the UK or wherever are going to be really hard to get to me in Vietnam or Thailand or China or Malaysia. So uh, part of the issue was, you know, us not being able to travel, us not being able to deploy our people into certain areas. So uh, it's just an enormous amount. It's, a, it's just a never ending topic. Um, that was the question I had. Like you send the money to this middleman or a broker or whatever you want to call them. And the, where is all this money? Where, someone's got it. Where's it at? So in, in every case, it's different. There's not just like one answer to that question. For some of these middlemen, they just obviously stole the money and ran. And and some of them, you know, have built houses with the money, bought Bentleys with the money, living extravagant extravagant lifestyles with the money. Um, and there's little to no recourse to try to get that back. In other instances, there were well-intentioned uh, factories or businesses that had every intention of trying to supply the gloves and maybe set your money along with other people's to a factory in another country, like a big thing happened in Vietnam where there were all these repacking facilities that opened up. They were all reliant on China production and going into China to get overflow or what I call whiteboard or gloves by the ton. And they were, they were robbed sending their money, which 
ultimately may have been, you know, U.S. customers' money into China to try to get gloves, and they never got them, or what they got wasn't usable. It was all, you know, used or damaged, or you know, there's no love lost between China and Thailand and Malaysia and Vietnam,、um, and so you know,、uh, you know, they they just gladly robbed each other, and so、okay. in some cases, somebody in the middle. Is enjoying an extravagant lifestyle.、Uh, in other cases, they legitimately tried to send the money, or they did send the money, to a real factory or to a middleman in China that they thought they could get gloves from, and those gloves never showed up. So it was just like this domino effect or cause and effect. And so when you go back to the the person you paid, they're like, "I sent the money over here thinking I was gonna, you know, get the gloves for you to repack, honestly, and you know they stole from me." And I'm working to try to get that money back. And if I get that money back, I'll give you some money back. None of it just really, really never happens. Okay, my last my last question, Douglas, is what's the recourse? What's next? Yeah, so that's the most that's a that's another real frustrating part because、um, it, as a foreign person trying to sue someone or a business in a foreign country, it's.、Um, It's really difficult. Number one, you have to put more, you know, more good money after bad. So you have to question, you know, the outcome of that.、Um, and number two, there's an enormous amount of paperwork and legal documents that you have to get notarized over here and 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 sent to the、uh, Thai or U or Thai or Chinese or or Vietnamese uh, uh, consulates, which have been mostly closed during the pandemic. So you really can't get some of those things going on. Then you pay a lawyer a commission plus you know the idea that if he gets anything back he's going to make you pay him a, 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 a retainer and then he makes a commission if he gets anything back. Sometimes it's it's easy to get a judgment against them, but you'll never see the money because they move bank accounts all over the place.、Um, rarely can you get anybody in the other countries to do any criminal、uh, criminal investigations on these people. Um, and they're very, they, they, you know, they have all sorts of documents that they can produce that say, "Oh, I took this person's money and I moved it here, and I got ripped off. I'm the victim here."、Uh, so let's wrap it up. Maybe a comment or two, Douglas. On I know LinkedIn has said no to Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> There's a new group you're involved with. Tell us about that. Yeah,、uh, quite honestly, I was thrilled about it because. I know so many people, you know, through through the last couple of years that have come to me for help, and there's not really much I can do、uh, except give them a shoulder to cry on. But、um, these guys actually have a plan of, you know, some some forms of of ways that they can build this coalition to something meaningful, where we can where we can actually get some attention either by our own government or put some pressure on some of these other governments, you know, to help do something. Um, and so, you know, it's better. You know, we can do only we can only do so much, but with more people, we can do so much more, right? So, the idea is to try to help them, you know, grow their membership. Unfortunately, their members are have all been people that have been, you know, affected by PPE fraud. But the the numbers are big,、um, and、uh, get them all together so that it forms something meaningful. Like, you know, between. In this group right now, there's 200 members that have lost a combined, you know, sum of almost a half a billion dollars. Now that's a number somebody can grab onto and get somebody's attention, maybe in Congress, the senators, congressmen, somebody to take a look at this. 
you know, the FBI, Homeland Security. I'm not sure, you know, I, this isn't my background, but I'm, but I'm sure if we could get a number like that, people like CNN would be interested in covering it. There might be some, you know, some type of relief that could be, that could be gotten for some of these people, at least help them. Uh, and it's a, it's an embarrassing thing, you know, uh, some of these people are, you know, 20 and 30 year uh, veterans of, of importing and nobody would have expected the, the import chain to go that criminal so fast. So, you know, you'd never expect it. People will be like, you know, but I thought you've been doing this for a long time. You can be doing something for a long time and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the landscape changes very quickly and now it's filled with criminals and you, you know, that's not how you've ever done business before. So you don't know. Um, so I think uh, knowing that there's other people will help bring some of these people out and say, yeah, listen, I got to admit it. I was hurt too. How can I join your group? Tell my story, be part of this group that maybe, you know, as a, as a, as a larger entity is going to be able to get some things done. Uh, of course, you know, we've got the support from, from ISA, which has, you know, been amazing. You know, we're looking for some other groups to, to, to get involved as well and support some of their members that probably got hurt through, through this whole thing. Um, and so it's been great to, uh, to, to, to help them kind of in this ground floor, uh, put together, you know, the format, the name, what it's going to be. It's called PPE Fraud Coalition. Uh, we're building a website right now that will be ppefraudcoalition.com. Uh, there'll be, uh, you know, an application to join. We want as many members as possible to join. I'm getting the message out through other people on LinkedIn. We have a LinkedIn business page where we're trying to attract some attention. I think we're going to be setting up a booth uh, uh, this this coming month in Vegas at the ISA show. Uh, we're going to be doing some speaking there as well. So the whole idea is to build a bigger group so we can be more, you know, more important and try to get some help for these folks.